The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hi, everyone. Welcome, Lori Silverman, to today's podcast episode. Lori, I know you as the CEO for Partners for Progress, but also really as a, as a data trend futurist. And you really have some interesting thoughts. Um, you know, we talked a lot about in the past data management, data governance, but the concept of data as not only, you know, being a, a, a solo, a silo concept, but really something that is really should be replaced with another word. And that word we'll actually talk about in a little bit later. But tell me about, let's start with your, your history of some of the, you know, the things you've done in terms of consulting and, and working in this space of data. So I'm going to take you back to when I was 30 years old. And um, I started to work for a consulting firm where my role was to lead teams of masters and PhD prepared statisticians and folks like me who are experts in organization development and strategy. And our job was to do exactly what people are trying to do today. How can we get people to use data more in their work to make better decisions? Now, albeit at the time we were talking about, you know, how do we make better quality sorts of decisions? But all in all, what we learned very quickly was that the traditional approaches to doing that work did not cause success. And what I mean by that is we were seeing failure after failure after failure, not unlike what we're seeing today. And people are actually telling me we should ignore. But mm -hmm. if you look at the research from, I don't care if it's from Gartner or Carinium or Click or Accenture or New Vantage Partners, which has been doing year after year research on the success of analytics efforts, they've been saying, you know, 85% of these efforts are failing. I was blessed back then to work with some very progressive business leaders who said to me, is there another way to approach this topic? Now, I didn't think anything of it at the time. The first time I thought anything of this was about two years ago when I was doing a video for a colleague of mine where he wanted me to kind of go through exactly what you're saying here. Tell me about the course of your career and all the different things that you've done. And I'm thinking is like, my goodness gracious, I'm 62 years old. I was 60 <laughs> at the time. I'm like, you know, I, that's a lot to go through. And I had an epiphany and the epiphany was, and it started with that work back then, that the universe in some ways taps me on the shoulder and, and, and I'm being tapped on the shoulder for the third time okay. to take a topic that people don't really know about and that's very bleeding edge and goes against all of mainstream thinking and bring it into the forefront. Now, that first time that I did that, it was to say to people, we're not talking about quality and making better decisions around the quality of products and services and the people in our business. Mm -hmm. um, actually, my former husband wrote a fable for me. He 
the fable is titled How the Cube Lost Its Tail. I'm sorry, what is that? Say it again. How the cube lost what? How the, how the Q, the letter Q in uh -huh. the English language lost its tail. Oh. From Total Quality Management, TQM, ah. to TOM, Total Organizational Management. And that became the crux of a book I wrote, my second book in 1999. So that was like this first big shift that mm. I worked on. And then the second big shift came a few years later when I stumbled into a book project to bring the field of business storytelling to trainers mm. and with hosts of radio and TV shows, because I was doing some national work at that time uh, for media, I had people asking me, can stories be used for more than training? And we had no research at the time. So then I embarked on writing uh, several books in that particular arena mm -hmm. and bringing business storytelling from from being an unknown sort of concept into the forefront. And by the way, it is related to what we'll talk about today because all the books, and I know my colleagues who I love dearly aren't gonna like hearing this, but all the books on data storytelling yeah. don't understand what a business story is or what the data is around the human brain that we need to know in order to craft the stories in such a way to influence people to action when we're, when we're talking about data. We'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we will have to talk about that. So I'm raising it for you. Yeah. And then, so so where I am today is, um, I wrote a book in 2013 with Karen Dietz called This is Storytelling for Dummies. And we put a chapter in the book called What to Do with Data, mm -hmm. chapter eight. And in 2000, late 2014, I called her up because we had an article to write. And I said, why did we put the chapter in the book? Like, what, what was the rationale for doing it? I'd written a chapter with her. I didn't remember a word of putting it together. We wrote the book in three months, you know, so mm -hmm. I, I always say that's my rationale. And she said, well, data scientists are starting to use the word story in their work. And I thought, <laughs> that's interesting. I should research this. So I do what I normally do. I get all books and articles on the topic. I sit on the floor. I read them all. And I go, oh, my gosh, there are three gaps. One is... They don't know the brain research, which I just mentioned around story. Second is they don't know what a story is and is meant to do. And the implications of that to moving from data to insight to decision to action. And then the third piece was that there was no process for, for that continuum. Like no one had put down on paper a documented way to say, how do I teach people how to move from raw data to insight and what the heck is an insight? Why mm -hmm. is it different than an observation? And then how do you go from that insight to decision and from decision to action and then follow through on that action? So I decided that's where my colleague and I started. We put together a method we call making smarter decisions with data and smarter is an acronym for the process that we've been teaching people for a number of years to do this. So that sparked this work. In fact, I was just talking with her this morning and because I said, you know, while I started with this very tangible step-by-step -step process mm -hmm. for teaching people where it's evolved right now into, is into what I call data literacy 2.0, um, which is the enterprise side of what organizations need to do. So that's kind of how I've come to where I am today, but all the pieces along the way, working, you know, with uh, folks who statisticians working with Dr. Deming, 
um, be, becoming a strategist and a futurist, um, doing work in business storytelling, all of those pieces today, for me, come together into what I call my legacy work. Um, so, you know, truly being tapped on the shoulder to bring forward these new ideas. Lori, I mean, it's very fascinating. The work I'm listening to you, and then you're talking about data literacy 2.0, and then about the trends that Google itself has not recognized. But when you walk into an organization, let, let's do two things, right? One is, how do you convince an organization to listen to you, number one, that this is important? And, and the second thing is, it's important now because the businesses are driven by in you know, a quarterly statements and the earnings next month, next quarter kind of stuff. And then, but how, how do you influence them? Then how do you convince them that they should listen to you? Well, first of all, I don't, I actually don't convince people to listen okay. to me. So I just, I want to do a clarification there yeah. um, because I would never approach an organization as an expert consultant. Okay. So where I start, these, to, to educate people, this takes 10 to 15 years societally yeah. to come forward. So let me talk to you about the sorts of things that I do now. Yeah. Um, if I'm talking with a group of CEOs, the way that we start the conversation is that I know, I mean, let's take a very trite question, a question that everybody asks, but most business leaders just sigh when they hear it. What keeps you up at night? If mm. you listen to a CEO's response to that, it's not, oh, do we have the data to do X, Y, Z, or oh, do we have the data governance in place, or oh, do we have clean data? It's always, I got these five decisions that are really nagging me. And, and as the CEO said to me yesterday, he's like, and I don't know if I should be making the decision now or if I should be holding on it. No. I don't know you know, what the risk assessment is around that decision, because we probably don't have what we need in terms of inputs. He didn't even use the word data. He just said, I don't have the inputs to make that decision. I don't know the interdependencies between those decisions. I don't know how the external marketplace is going to respond or, you know, if there's going to be another wild card that's going to show up like a pandemic, right? That's going to influence what's going on. And so he's talking about the decisions. And, and I boil that down to two questions. Mm -hmm. you know, what's, what's the cost? of making a wrong decision. Okay. What's the cost to a business of making a wrong decision outside of innovation, okay? What's the cost? But there's even a cost in innovation if we make a wrong decision, right? Because it's the cost of the design cycle and having to go through it several times. I mean, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other question is, is what if we happen to make the right decision? What's the cost of not fully implementing it? Because it's not unusual where we say, yep, this is what we need to do. And then nothing happens after that, you know, because there is a, there is a, a lot of um, inertia inside of organization. All you have to do is look at the pandemic and people say to me, but look, everybody's working from home. And I'm like, yeah, but they really didn't put the formal policies in place. They just put stopgap measures in place. They're still hoping. I mean, there's still companies that are hoping we'll go back, right? Mm -hmm. To brick and mortar buildings. I mean, let's talk to commercial real estate people. They want us to go back to brick and mortar buildings. Right. So, so you talked about two, uh, both of them are costs. Do you also discuss the opportunity of making the right decision? Isn't No, because people are not motivated by benefit. Mm -hmm. People are, if you look at the influence literature, and your question, by the way, is a very thoughtful one. People are more motivated by loss than they are by benefit. Benefit will not take you anywhere. Because what people will say to themselves is, we're doing pretty good right now without that. 
But if I think about what do I stand to lose, that that hits at the core mm. of who we are as an organization. You know, maybe if I make a wrong decision, I'm going to lose a segment of my consumers. What does that mean to my business? You know, or or if we shift, let's say that we shift in a in a new direction. Because I I you know as a strategist, I've been blessed over the years to work with companies who literally have done a 180. The business they're in is not that when I met them is not the business that they're in today. But yeah. when they're making that shift, there's a huge cost around. We're going to lose that revenue stream, right? You know, because I always say to people, the thing that we don't think about with S curves, if you're at the top of an S curve, even if you're starting to come down and now you want to create a new growth S curve, there's a gap between the two. You always have worse performance before it gets better. And that, that gap is bothersome to them. That's a mm. loss. Does that make sense in terms mm, of- It makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's, but, but again, I'm talking and you're asking the question from a business perspective, right? So they're not talking, you know, and a lot of people will say to me, well, don't, this means that we need to teach business leaders analytical thinking. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. You want to go in, you, you be my guest and you go into a business leader's office and say, I don't think you're data literate enough. <laughs> yeah, that is really tough because I've been in situations with uh, business executives and I'm not even allowed to use the word data to them because what comes, what resonates, what is most meaningful at the end of the day, like as you said, Lori, is the, you know, the, the outcomes, right? What hits them at the heart and it's not data, believe me at all. Um, so, Laura, I just want to also talk, one, men, one point you mentioned earlier is the fact that data scientists have now feel empowered to do the storytelling. Um, and I think one guess for me, the reason why they do it is because they, they feel they need to explain some of their data and their the modeling results. But what I see as well is they, they're missing the whole business context. And that is one reason why I think they, they fail in being a, an accurate data story or they're missing the whole point, right? When they were telling a story. Um, so what, I know you, Laurie, what, what else can you add to that to explain, you know, the lack of failure for data scientists today to be effective? Well, uh, there's, a, there's a couple ways I'm going to answer that. First of all, um, data scientists um, academically are typically taught a process that's abbreviated with the letters O-S-E-M-N-N-N. -N. So it's like OSEA. But the first step is called obtain data. Mm -hmm. Now, right there, right there, we got a problem. Yeah. Because what are you obtaining data around? And so to your point, Peggy, what they're missing is why we put an S in our smarter framework, which is set the context. You know, what if someone comes to me, I'll, I'll give you an example I, I like to use when I'm, I'm speaking. Um, when I first moved to Las Vegas, I met with a woman who works in IT for a very prominent casino. And it was a networking meeting right after lunch. And I said to her, how's your day been going so far? And she's like, oh, you do not want to know. I'm like, yeah, I kind of do want to know. And she said, well, I had someone come to me, a leader come to me and say, I want data on the cabanas around the pools. Mm -hmm. And I said, so what did you say? And she said, well, I said, 
Which pools? Which casinos? Um, do you want the data Monday through Friday versus Saturday or Sunday? Do you want data on when there's a band or a DJ versus when there isn't a band or a DJ? Do you really want data on food and beverage? And she kept saying all these questions to me. And I said, what did the business leader say to you? Mm -hmm. She said, one word, three letters, yes. <laughs> and and my, my, I didn't have the heart to say to her, wrong questions, wrong questions. What you should have said to that person was, what do you plan to do with the data? Yeah. What decision are you trying to make? And so data scientists, actually, I would say within the last few months, are starting to really become aware that they have to, and, and I'm put data analytics folks in here too, that they have to really spend time on this context, but they're not spending enough time on it. They're not physically sitting down with people, especially with complex decisions and drawing and mapping out the decisioning mindset because every, if it was the three of us, let's say for example, who needed collectively to see some data on something or see some insights on the data, we're, we bring different mental models to it and we need to talk through what those mental models are and what's really the question we want. The second issue we have is that oftentimes the questions they ask are knowledge questions. They're mm -hmm. not questions of actionability. And so you have to, and that's a whole thing that I teach people is just how do you switch questions from knowledge questions to action questions? Otherwise, what you're going to get are knowledge insights, not actionable insights. Yeah, so, so even this whole concept of are you getting a meaningful or relevant insight is related to the context piece. Do you have the right questions? Otherwise, so, I could give people our interesting insights. So is it up to the business leaders, you think, to be able to ask the right questions or is it up to, is it the onus on the data scientists or analysts to to ask the right questions back to, to the business? Why can't it be everyone? See, to mm -hmm. me, this is about, if you, want, if you want to make this about shifting the culture of an enterprise, this is me. And, and I'm going to add a piece to what you said. So people who are working with data are concerned about the input, the data. Executives are concerned about the output, but somebody's also got to be concerned about the process. I'm concerned about the process of decision making because, and I'm going to go back to these CEOs and I'll come back and answer your question. I had one CEO say to me a few months ago, if I know that my decisioning process has five or six steps to it, I should be able to track where in that process we are. I said, yeah, and let me tell you something, I'll bet you, I'll bet you, you'll do the first three or four steps and then you're going to loop back around to the beginning and say, we need more data. Sure. And you're never going to get through it. It's going to be like a gerbil going around or a hamster going around a wheel over and over and over again. You're never going to come back to the output. He said that in and of itself is invaluable to me because that's about nimbleness and agility. How fast can we make decisions? I said, when I've mapped that for organizations, it sometimes is nine months to a year. Do you really have that much time? Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing has to do with this whole issue on story. I'm not creating a story about the data. I should be stepping back with business leaders because this is a collaborative process. I mean, everybody should know how do we go about asking the right sorts of questions because even people at the front line have decisions they're having to make every single hour of every single day, right? So that might, some of those are gonna be standardized, but there might be some unique ones. But if I have people in data analytics or data science 
or even some astute business leaders who now start to understand, oh, I need to reframe the question. Oh, I should probably for complex decisions, maybe there's 10 questions that really need to be answered in a particular order. And they all have an actionability piece or, or, or a, an interdependency with each other. Mm -hmm. What we storify are the insights. And the insights, I mean, I'm a, I mean, I, I teach on the side, um, a graduate class in strategic thinking, and I tell people the academic definition of insight is aha. <laughs> <It's not laughs> That's a very technical but, definition. I like yes, it. It's the academic, seriously, it's the academic definition. But what happens is people, because of technology, are taught that the data visualization will lead them to an insight, and they think that data visualizations are the story. And so they just describe what the data is telling them. That's not an insight. You and I know insight. Everybody who's listening to this knows insight. There have been moments in your life, I guarantee you, children even have this happen to them, where maybe you go to bed at night and you haven't solved an issue and you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I got the answer, yeah. right? And when I see the answer, I see the whole of the answer. I don't see a part of it. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so clear. I got it, I got it. And you go in the next day and you say to your colleagues, I got the answer. And they're like, are you crazy? Like, how did you come up with that, right? Or if you're exercising or taking a shower or doing something, these, these, like, it magically appears. I said, it's no different than a painter standing in front of a canvas who can see the outcome of the painting before they start. It happens That's, to me all the time. I call it an epiphany. Yes, like an epiphany. yes. You are absolutely correct. But, but that does not come from studying the data. That comes from stepping back from the data, looking at the questions that were asked up front and saying, what's the insights that are being shared by what we've learned or what we've, what we've posed? Nine times out of 10, we don't necessarily have an insight. We don't have one that's new. And there, you know, right? We want new, and what are we doing? We're getting things. We're either reinforcing what we already know, or because of the way the question was asked. Like if somebody said to me, "Why can't I ask a hypothesis testing question up front?" Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Well, think about it for a second. If you say, is it A or is it B? What if it's neither? <laughs> you haven't allowed for the possibility of it being neither, you know, or being ten different things." Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.